The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Shottown, you know what it is. Blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange. Yeah, Windy City, you know what it is. Blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange. Welcome, everybody, to the WCG debut episode of the Rule of Three podcast featuring Robert Schmitz, myself, Danny Meehan, and Brandon Robinson right here on the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network as we aim to go through the game from an X's and O's analysis perspective and talk a little deeper after the game to break down what happened before, of course, we move on to next week's contest in this against the Bears and the Colts. But guys it is great being here i can't believe we're 3-0 and much less 3-0 and after a quarterback change we'll get some initial thoughts rolling guys what do you think about this wild game i think that they're lucky that they're not 0-3 <laughs> like it it was a really fun way to win it's i mean dan quinn's kind of got the mo now of if you've got double digit lead might as well say game's over we're gonna lose because He's, what was that, two back-to-back games of 16-point leads going into the fourth quarter, and they blew them? More than so, 16 points against the Cowboys, I think. against the Cowboys. So, I mean, obviously, take 3-0 and where you can, but we also have to take in consideration a couple things. They're, the three teams they played are now a combined 0-9. So, they've played very bad football teams, but that's what you got to do. You can't help with the schedule lines up against you. You got to beat down who's in front of you. So... I wouldn't say they necessarily beat him down because we're a DeAndre Swift drop pass, a quarterback switch and collapse from Atlanta. And I'm trying to remember if something drastic happened in week Nothing two. really drastic happened no, in, New just, in New York. You could even say that the Bears should have won it by more had the Eddie Jackson interference call gone the other direction. A lot of things. So, yeah, so there. really you're, you're, you, sh- you could be 0-3. You likely should be 1-2. But here you stand atop the division, three and zero. So take it yes. where you can get it. Mm-hmm. And we finally, <laughs> I think we can finally put to bed the narrative, at least for the time being, until number nine gets broken. That the the Mitch era is done for all intents and purposes. You could even say it's done even if he comes back in. And Brandon, I know I had you on my other show. Bear with me uh, earlier this week. Are you still feeling as good as you did right after the game? I mean, compared to Dan, I guess I'm being the over the over the top optimist today. I mean, the whoa, Bears whoa, are whoa. the Bears are three and zero. The <laughs> NFC, like the top NFC teams, don't look that great right now. And I never have to watch Mitch Trubisky play in Chicago again. So, like, <laughs> things can't be better than they are right now. 
I would you know, like to clarify, I am happy. I also I, am measured. I think there's hey, a big difference here. <laughs> I, I totally get it. And you know what? I was, go, I was thinking we would start with linebackers or something that could show off our analytical chops, but we've already ripped the Band-Aid off. We might as well just dive into it and clean the wound. We'll talk about Mitchell Trubisky. I know as I've gone back and walked through, watched through this game, what I can assure you, Bears fans, and I plan on detailing it more later on tomorrow night's, that's Wednesday night's live stream, Mitch Trubisky didn't get pulled because he threw an interception. Like, that may have been the straw that broke the camel's it back. Was a but culmination. I can tell you, having watched this game through, or at least the first half, like, with a really close eye, Mitch left touchdowns all over the field. Some where he just didn't see the guy who was wide open. Some where he made the wrong check, not at the line of scrimmage, but in terms of, like, he read the safety wrong or he forced something into one-on-one coverage. And the two sacks that he took were both avoidable. I mean, these are things that in his fourth year, they slowed the Bears offense down. He still had a very productive day through the air, technically, because he was throwing to guys who were, I mean, wide open. But at some point, I can understand completely why Matt Nagy, who wants to run a quick strike offense, who wants to put points on the board in a hurry, gets bummed out when Anthony Miller breaks over the middle on a deep angle post route. He's wide open and Tariq Cohen gets the ball down the sidelines when, I mean, they had an 80 yard touchdown. And if you haven't heard that before, you haven't been paying attention since 2018. You guys know what I mean? Exactly. And let's also clarify this when we say we're ripping the bandaid off and everything. No one here hates Trubisky the guy. Absolutely. Good guy. He's a nice teammate. No one works harder. But I think now, especially even the most average of casual watcher, you can just see the difference between – I've kind of coined the phrase where Mitch is kind of just drooling on himself in the huddle versus a competent NFL quarterback. Foles wasn't anything more than fine uh, over the weekend. He made some big boy throws. He made some, why are you doing that throws? And that's what he's going to continue to do. But it's just, he can at least understand what's in front of him. Mitch never got to the point where he even understood what was going on in front of him. So it sure seems that way. Cause, so now you're going from a guy who really probably shouldn't be on an NFL roster because a backup quarterback, the one thing he has to do is process what's in front of him if he's thrown into the fire. Mitch can't do that. So you're talking about a guy who's probably out of the league after next year because he just can't process. He kind of like a Tebow situation again. Pretty much. And now you're going into a requisite NFL quarterback who's probably at, what, the 25th-ish best quarterback in the league? Like, I mean, I'm not trying to be harsh on Foles. Foles is going to make this offense look night and day because you're going to see the true the truest form to date of what Matt Nagy wants to do because he couldn't do it with Mitch it's just he doesn't he's got his pitfalls and he's got his shortcomings but I am more than happy to see number nine and his tinted visor back there can he keep that at all times like he looks so sick coming like he looked like the Terminator coming (laughs) onto the field I was so excited like I, I I didn't even think we were getting Nick Foles I thought we were getting the Terminator on the field if if he hadn't thrown a pick on his first drive I think you would have kept it but hey visor off Foles played some ball and I'm really excited to see it I mean you guys was YOLO swagging everywhere it was so funny 
I'll throw it back over to Brandon here in a second, but I know at least when Foles came in, I felt like, and who knows, maybe it's just because Foles is a little louder than Mitch, but I felt like I was hearing the line get organized correctly. Like he was making calls. He was making his checks. One play that I will specifically note, and it's a very weird one. I got two actually. Uh, So there's a play that if you remember, we've ran before we ran it in Detroit where the quarterback fakes a handoff, rolls out to his right and looks downfield for a deep pass. Foles took one look, probably maybe a half second, and immediately airmailed Tariq Cohen because he was getting rid of the ball. I remember when Mitch ran that, and it took him about three and a half seconds to get the ball to Tariq. So if that's the difference in processing speed that we're looking at, that is that is fast, and that's something that you can really make some noise with on offense. Another one, and if you've listened to me at all, you've heard me say it. Oh, my word, I loved it when uh, Nick Foles felt pressure and got the ball out to Darnell Mooney who made a play in space to pick up seven yards on a first and 10 instead of taking a sack. In 29 attempts, Nick Foles took no sacks. In 22 attempts, Mitch Trubisky took two sacks against the same defense. I don't think it's a coincidence. Nick Foles can get the ball out quickly. He's got a snappy enough release and recognizes pressure such that he can make those plays and keep plays alive, try to grind out whatever yards he can. And Trubisky tended to struggle with it. His head would come down as he looked for running room and he would take a lot of sacks. We've said that before, but again, I'll throw it over to Brandon. Foles really impressed me with the little things, not just the big things. And it leaves me pretty hopeful. Yeah, I was extremely impressed with how comfortable he was just with everything, with his, with his checks, with his calls, with his reads. He, I mean, he's been in this offense for years, so you should expect that, but expecting a guy to just come off the bench just completely cold and just be willing to, to just gas the ball, I mean, that's who Yolo Foles is, and, I mean, that's, that's what he showed us. And I, I think the, the upside of this offense just – is is sky high compared to what it is with Mitch um, under center, and I, I would I'm, I said this already on your podcast, but I'm extremely extremely excited for Anthony Miller. His his stock has never that's been the guy than who is, is going right to that's the guy who's going to benefit most because you're going to go from a lot more twelve personnel to probably a lot more three wide receiver sets where you're going to see Mooney, Ginn, and Robinson or or. Ginn, Robinson, and uh, Miller, and all these guys that are just going to be – you're going to see formations coming in and out because they have a bunch of productive wide receivers or guys that can do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Now, Miller, to to kind of critique him, needs to make his plays when they're given to him. He had another drop touchdown this week. That can't happen. You, you need to catch the ball when you're given the chance. But I agree. I, I love Anthony Miller. I just think when you're given the opportunity – for a pass to be caught in the end zone, you got to make the most of it, especially when you're the guy that at Memphis where everyone was talking about all he does is catch touchdowns. So I've been a Miller lover since like day one. His technique and the way he runs his routes is just, I mean, it'll make any analyst salivate. Uh, and one thing that I've noticed to definitely to critique him, not only does he lack focus at times, and by that I'm not just talking about his route running. I mean, like he'll, he'll drop balls that he probably shouldn't drop. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but the number one thing that I think I can say about Miller, because this actually makes a lot more sense the more that I've thought about it, is Miller isn't the kind of guy who's going to run precise routes on a specific timing set to show up when he needs to be there. He's much better in an almost backyard pickup football setting where, hey, do this, we will make the play. And I think the last touchdown signified that. It was a much more backyard style route where he said, where 
Foles, I mean, to quote him, said, I'm going to throw it to the Falcons, L, just be there. And he did. And he caught it. And it looked really easy. I think that if Foles can rifle through his reads like we hope he will, Miller has the opportunity to be a backyard number two wide receiver that dominates people. Maybe never a number one. Maybe he'll never take on those number one matchups, but that's what Robinson's there for. And he could blow up. Yeah, he doesn't need to. Just be be a slot be just dominate from the slot that's all i want him to do like it's not and i i hate when we like when i say that because it almost feels like i'm demeaning the role a slot wide receiver is a starting receiver in the nfl in today's day and age it's just like oh well he's when people say oh well so-and-so is just a nickel back a nickel is a starting corner you need those guys miller can be a dominant slot wide receiver and there's nothing wrong with that Right, and how many receiver, slot receivers in the league have as much upside as Anthony Miller? I think there's probably less than 10. Right, I mean, and, and when you're talking about guys that like, have made their living doing it, Welker caught 100 balls mm-hmm. several times, being nothing but a slot guy. Edelman the same way. I mean, I, obviously you're jumping back to New England because of the way the, the Earhart parking system and what it asks for. I'd point do. out guys like Jarvis but, Landry, Odell yeah, Beckham Landry. Jr. They're not exactly the same, but I think Landry's a decent comparison here where he can play outside. He's made a lot of noise at that outside position. And so has Miller, but that work in the slot and the ability for the wide receiver, because for those who don't know, biggest difference between the playing outside and playing in the slot is the slot can go anywhere. It is a nightmare for corners based on what I've understood because you can break right, left, up, down, sideways, backwards. It doesn't really – you have total creative flexibility on where you take your route. Absolutely. And like you guys kind of pointed out with Miller, because he does kind of shuck and jive his way through routes because he doesn't really have a plan. I think he just reads what's in front of him and he reacts. He's a read and react player he's in a sense got the perfect quarterback in fulls to do that with because like you pointed out with the quote robert just go get to the l the ball will be but that's you and you said the same thing with roethlisberger and ab you could spin roethlisberger around 12 times blindfold him and throw say yep throw it and he's gonna find ab that's what these guys need not every receiver is a technical gem not every quarterback is going to be operating within the confines of his system at all times those two will have a chemistry that takes an and alleviates almost a pressure that was forcing this offense to almost play too tight and allow them to just kind of let some stuff loose. It, it became an offense where it did feel like everything had to go right. I mean, not only partially because Trubisky was reading receivers instead of reading defensive players, which for those who don't know what I mean, as I watch Trubisky, it feels like instead of reading a safety and figuring out where to go with the ball, he's going to look at Allen Robinson and then look at Cole Kmet and then look at, and he's, he's going to go through an order as far as the receivers go. And Foles does exactly the opposite. He reads the defender and it, it, this feels like now a lineman can blow a block and the bears can overcome it because maybe it's fourth down. And we get Ted Ginn wide open. Brandon, what you got? Right. And it, you, you think about it. Mitch Trubisky was really only trusting Allen Robinson. That's the, he has the biggest disparity of targets between the wide receiver one and wide receiver two in the league. And that's because he, that's the only guy he trusts. He didn't trust Anthony Miller to give him the ball. So you bring in Foles and, I mean, he, he, shows, he shows his trust in his players right off the bat. He's spreading the ball around. And wh- what that does for the offense is it really ex- expands what you're able to do. And, I, I mean, 
just the just the their ability to run more RPOs. I mean, I think a lot of Nagy's trust was lost in Trubisky to make the right reads in his RPOs. And that's what you're you're gonna see at a Foles. You're gonna see a lot of those outside zone RPOs with the backside slant that could be Anthony Miller, could be Allen Robinson, and he'll be trusted to make those reads because he's already done it at that very highest level. Guys, mm-hmm. is this is this what it feels like to have a real professional quarterback where you can actually expect him to, you know, make his own line checks and kills at the line? Like it must be. And because this is really weird feeling. Like I, again, I'm not Mr. Ray of Sunshine today. Because I've got my I questions. Am. I am. But, and that's okay. <laughs> it's okay to have balance on the show. Here's, but, here's my hot take, Dan. Because oh I'm dying to know what you're going to think about this. Oh, boy. I think that the talent gap between Nick Foles and Jay Cutler is smaller than a lot of people want to think. That as far as the brain upside that Foles brings, it, it balances the arm talent that Jay had. The point being, if you thought Jay Cutler was the best quarterback that the Bears have ever had because you set a cutoff at the modern era, Nick Foles probably shocked you a little bit in how competent he looked because the Bears' standard of comparison isn't Russell Wilson, it's, it's Jay and Foles is a lot closer <laughs> oh God, to Jay. So it's a lot closer to Jay than he is to a Mitch Trubisky type or a Chase Daniel type. You know what I mean? I agree. No, I agree with your sentiment. I, I'm admittedly a Jay stand, but I don't fully disagree. I don't fully disagree with your premise. No, mm-hmm. especially because of everything else in terms of. It's, and it sounds stupid because I hated when people said it about like Tebow and stuff, but his leadership matters when mm-hmm. you see him over there, you know, in front of his line and he's like, like talking to him, clapping his hands. And he's like, it, you know, rallying the troops for a better term, stuff like that goes a long way. And if you don't think the players saw that when all of a sudden the defense, when he came in, starts stopping them, like it's, I don't want to say it's completely, I don't want to say causation is correlation, but they had more juice and to be to to totally just cut the water both ways or whatever you want to call it they did come back against Detroit I don't want to forget the fact that Mitch led this same team back against a team in Detroit in uh that's it's not a very good football team but in a very similar way so Mitch might have led the comeback but it was pretty it was pretty crazy to watch just how the offense seemed to change how receivers seemed to suddenly be open downfield how the bears i think jonathan wood our resident chicago bears twitter stats guy mentioned that the bears the bears as of now in week three have a total of i believe nine explosive plays on the season through the air and Foles had five of them in less than a half so that should so kind of right and you know you could call it embarrassing but I'll call it at least what I think is the fairest thing they tried out the young guy it didn't work the Giants are doing the same thing with Daniel Jones the Jets are still on Sam Darnold I'm not picking these guys out to make fun of them I'm pointing out that young guys with potential they get a different grading scale than a guy like Nick Foles you mentioned Nick right. Foles might be the 25th best quarterback in the NFL. I'd raise you and say he could go as high as 18th if you take the potential off of everybody. Like, if you stop looking with rose-colored glasses at every quarterback and you evaluate them on how they handle their mm-hmm. position, Foles is a bottom-half starter, but he might be closer to the middle than a lot of people want to think. But we always focus on upside. 
we always focus on upside with young guys, and it does get a lot of teams put in the wrong position. What I can't wait for. Fired. Right. What I can't wait for, what I've been saying since Foles got brought to the team, there's nobody I am more excited about than seeing a neutral, a baseline, a vanilla paste for Nagy's offense. Because now we get to know if Nagy's offense is as good as a lot of crazy people like the three of us think it is. If as many guys are going to run wide open as we keep saying they are. This is that moment where we get to see if Nagy's offense has the juice to take this team into the future, not just 2020, like all the way through, uh, gosh, I hope 2028, if this offense is it, then we can start focusing on finding a quarterback even better than Nick Foles once we prove using Nick Foles that this thing's got legs. Again, I couldn't be more excited. I feel like you're underselling this show's love of Nagy. I don't think think there's any underselling there. I mean, Matt, I... (laughs) I'll, I'll, I'll take it back and then I'll stop talking because I've dominated this conversation and I apologize. But there's this one play that stuck out to me. Second drive, first quarter. Uh, the Matt Nagy and the Bears have figured out that the Falcons are countering their run but also play action approach by playing zone on the back with five down linemen up in front and two linebackers pushed real close to the line of scrimmage, which hilariously enough did work. It really gave the offensive line some fits. It changed the way that their zone blocking scheme is supposed to work. And when Trubisky dropped back to pass, wow, he's still throwing into zone. So he gets those short gains sometimes, but gets covered up. Nagy countered this by calling uh, Anthony Miller on a quick out, like play action sweep. I don't know what to call it, like a handoff where he lined Patterson up in the backfield. Patterson fainted right. Seven of the 11 defenders (laughs) went right with him. Uh, Anthony Miller's got the ball. He runs right around the edge. Cole Kmet makes a nice block, as does Darnell Mooney, and it is the easiest 10 yards that I've ever seen. Tip of the hat to the play caller. Like, he he sussed out exactly how to beat that defense because against a five-man front with a zone, their first step's going to be backwards on the zone part and the five man front's going to push forward. So Miller just beat him all around the edge and ran immediately forward. I mean, Matt Nagy can make some really, really nicely timed play calls, even running the ball. Cause I know he's known for passing it and I can't wait to see what happens from here. We know who he stole that from is Sean McVay because it's the, it's the condensed set with the jet sweep and then faking the mid zone, which they've been running a lot of. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I think, think you're going to see a lot of that. I mean, because they're running basically more it's, of that offense this year than they are running Nagy's normal stuff. It's almost as if nothing in the NFL is an actual secret or under locks, under wraps rather. Everybody knows everything. Yeah. Nothing's a secret. Even, even the uh, – just to go back – go off of recency bias, look at yesterday's game – on Monday night, the little shovel pass to Anthony Sherman for a touchdown by the Chiefs. Who does the shovel pass every week? We do. The Bears. That's Nagy's play call. That's like one of his favorite play calls. Now, it might have been because he doesn't trust Mitch to throw the ball, and it's like he can't possibly patch a, mess up a forward pitch, but it worked. Mm-hmm. It works. You just can't use it once a quarter. <laughs> Chiefs no, ran more good. screens than I've ever seen in my entire life last night. That was insane. 
Yeah, we're coming at you on Tuesday morning, by the way, after the Chiefs utter demolition of the Ravens. And, I mean, that was – I don't want to talk about it. I mean, look, that's that's what the West Coast offense at its highest of highs is supposed to do. Death by a thousand paper cuts. Yeah, until you throw a 50-, 60-yard bomb. Like, death death by a bunch of paper cuts before, like, a massive sword just gores you open. (laughs) like that's a way to put it their their haymakers were haymakers that's for sure and uh i mean hey that's what we're shooting for you know god forbid you let edwards hilaire score but you know it's fine (laughs) but as we talk about the offense so i guess there's one small thing i want to hit because i know brandon is just gonna be as excited about as i am uh in the wake of the cohen injury which is a huge bummer you mentioned miller being the biggest benefactor of Foles potentially playing better i thought it was gonna be cohen uh, because all that space underneath that opens up as Foles pushes the ball downfield. I mean, you give Cohen two yards of space around him, two, and his, his foot frequency makes it to where he'll beat somebody and make a play. So massive bummer. I'm glad for the player that he got his money when he did. But Cordero Patterson's development away from being a wide receiver and in towards being a running back is really really awesome to watch i saw him pick up a couple first downs where he did what wide receivers don't do he saw the man push him outside and he planted his foot and went upfield with it which clearly meant that he took coaching from last week against the giants where he did not do that and lost a couple of yards on different plays trying to take everything to the edge for those who don't know wide receivers they don't take near as many hits as running backs do. So they learn to try to bump it outside. Like if it's a 50-50, even if it's a 45-55 uh, situation, they're going to go outside. They're going to take the weaker hit. Patterson's ability to be physical could make him dominant as we start moving forward. I'll take him in a one-on-one versus almost any defender in the NFL. Like give him just a little bit of space. Give him a head of steam. He has what he wants. I'm excited. Patterson leaves me a lot to get amped about. Yeah, he I, it's, he's, I mean, he's a good, he's a good player and he, he can't get his hands on the ball enough. There's so many different things that you can do with him, And I think just moving to a different quarterback just helps that even more. And I mean, it sucks that, that the bears are without Cohen, like you said, but I think that's just that much more that Patterson's going to get the ball. I tend to agree with you. I I'm, I've been a Patterson Stan fan whatever you want to call it since he was at Tennessee and I my old whole worry was with him was is he so much of a gadget no one will know what to actually do with him and that kind of happened early on in his career Mm -hmm. and now we're at the point where Belichick kind of showed the world don't give him a set position just let him be weapon x throw him out there let him do what he does now that now he's a he's a a pro bowl level gunner he's still an all pro level returner he's a serviceable if not good running back he's still a eh, wide receiver but if you just have him run three or four routes out of the slot or maybe even I would like to see him just because of his size be used as like a move tight end every now and again just because you could single out like a an inside backer or something by just virtue of the fact that he's a better athlete and just see what happens but I'm I'm excited to see him going forward too because I think he's probably another one of the bigger benefactors of of the switch at quarterback he needs that space you know and we'll we'll see what happens if i've noticed anything about the first three weeks of Nagy's offense it's been that i can't really take any cues about what Nagy actually wants to do anymore because he only sends about two receivers out and anybody that's seen west coast knows that it's like four receiver minimum half the time uh so 
we'll have to see what happens. But you know what? I think we've covered the offense pretty good, guys. So let's take a, a quick break, let the sponsors get their word in, and we'll come back and talk about the defense. Sound good to you guys? Yeah. And we are back. Awesome, guys. Uh, that was uh, That's great. I, I can't wait to see what this offense does against the Colts. It's going to be a good test. We can talk about that in a little bit. Because the next thing I want to talk about, and obviously this has been a big worry to a lot of Bears fans, because the Chicago Bears, you know, traditionally, we don't give up a lot of points. And against the Falcons, against even the, the Lions, we kind of did. So let's talk about what's going on on defense. What did you guys see? We'll start open for them. Um. I wish the linebackers, specifically the inside backers, would have played better. Um, Roquan was fast, but I think Roquan was also negated, primarily because of somewhat what we talked about last week, where when you let a body get on him, he's not getting off. He just doesn't. It's not his fault that he's an undersized inside backer. He's more of a will. Like, put it this way, if we played a, if the Bears played a 40-front cover to Lovey Smith level defense he's not playing middle linebacker he's not a mike he's playing the will because he's a coverage backer who can sometimes blitz now i wouldn't say he was bad yesterday but he wasn't what he was against the giants where he was playing like his hair was on fire you know so i don't think he was great i don't think he was bad but i w- I, I was left wanting more especially because they were getting gouged by atlanta they were getting pushed around up front, which is more evidence that I really think they need to sign a, a big fat guy to zero tech soon. And I'm not talking about a guy like McCullers. You need someone like, I know we've called for snacks, but even someone like uh, from the Bills and the Jaguars, I forget his name off the top of my head. Jernigan? Yeah, Marcel Darius. And it's like, that matters. The ability to just clog space and let your guys kind of run free mattered. I feel we saw probably too much of Trevathan also. And until I think Trevathan kind of maybe plays his way back into more football shape. I mean, this is still like only week four of the preseason for these guys. They're still working into a lather of some sort. I, I hope what we're seeing early on is wrong with Danny T that he just didn't get old in a matter of an off season, but that might be the case. Cause I actually liked what they showed two weeks ago against the Giants where they were using Deion Bush in the big dime or big nickel and allowing Roquan to stay out versus pulling Roquan and leaving Danny out there. But the problem is with the, with the up front, with the D line, because mm-hmm. you're seeing this year that Hicks and Mac are both lining up on the left side. Hicks has always been on the left side, but you've seen Mac bounce around but now he has to stay exclusively on the left side because they have Ro- they have uh, Robert Quinn, Quinn, who's an exclusively right side of the line guy. So when Robert Quinn's not in, which is quite a bit because they're trying to save him for obvious pat- pass rushing downs, and then you have Mingo out there with sometimes Roy Robinson Harrison, and that's that's a problem. Off the left left side of the tackle, they're giving up 7.3 yards per carry on the year. It's off nasty. the left guard, 6.0. Off the right guard, 3.2. Off the right tackle, 2.9. That is a huge difference. I mean, that's, that's, that's virtually half, half, double the yards on the left side. So, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a problem that they that's huge. That's a fix. That's literally it's, if you run to that side twice, you've got a first down. 
on average every two plays. I mean, I'm never going to be somebody who calls for ridiculous, like literally league illegal things, impermissible benefits and so on and so forth. But I'm almost shocked that the bears haven't done everything they can to sign a snacks Harrison type, because it's, it's been bewildering. Like you guys are talking about this run defense. It's I I'm personally more on Brandon's uh, plane, Dan, I thought that Roquan Smith did everything that I could ever ask him to. I can't ask him to be a Mike Becker, and I know you wouldn't either. That's not what I was saying. I was saying he just negated in a sense because he was just getting bodies put on him. And the trouble is is that I think Trevathan's kind of the same way. He's also a Will-style linebacker. So when both of them get sealed by linemen, I shrug my shoulders and I say, that's who the player is. Like, I can't dock them for doing something it's it's like how if uh travis kelsey ran over eddie jackson i wouldn't say bad tackle you know i'd say this is what i expect i expect a physically dominant person to run over eddie jackson eddie jackson's supposed to get the ball out of the air before kelsey catches it not the point the point is is that like her i'm i'm amazed that the d line hasn't gotten that little bit extra beef because this defense is probably the most skewed defense I've ever seen in my life. When they know the opponent or the opponent has to pass, they are the best defense of the league. And if not, they're one of the top three. I mean, immediately. But go back to that very first play we ran. Did you guys catch that Khalil Mack didn't actually rush the passer on that play? Because as soon as they threw that play-action fake, you had better believe everybody played run. Like they, every single defensive lineman got or got control of their man and stood in the gap because as much as we like to say finicky little things, like it doesn't actually matter if you have success in the run game to run play action. When you do have issues from a defensive perspective against the run game, you better believe you'll get their attention with a run fake. And they were able to get Calvin Ridley open and, we can talk about that next because I feel like there's a bit of a misconception that somehow the Bears coverage was like really bad. I thought Calvin Ridley and Matt Ryan had a heck of a game. Like they played super duper well against covered schemes that were sure they were beatable, but nothing's unbeatable. What did you guys see? I mean, players making good plays. Yeah. And that's just, like I said about our kind of pregame preview, last week going into it Matt Ryan's a high level quarterback I mean he's got his his warts and everything but he's been in that scheme now for a few years under Quinn with his offensive regime different play callers but the same nuts and bolts of what they're doing and he's he's good he's been good this isn't like some sort of magical like oh light bulb went on no he's he's just a he's a damn good NFL quarterback Mm-hmm. I'll stay consistent to what I usually say, where it's not just about the big plays. It's also about the mm-hmm. small plays. Yep. There's a play that I saw where the Falcons, about as clearly as you could possibly draw one up, were threatening a screen, and the Bears sniffed it out. They had everybody flow over to that side. And Matt Ryan just mentally killed the screen, turned and threw a backside slant, looked similar to an RPO, straight through a man who, I believe it was Roy Robertson Harris, who was left unblocked because the left guard ran out into space to block for the screen. And Ryan had to throw quick to beat the illegal man downfield call. He did, and the Falcons picked up a nice little eight-yard gain off of what should have been a busted play at the minimum. And that's what really good quarterbacks do. 
that's exactly who Matt Ryan is. I thought he played like a guy who had just blown a lead and didn't want to blow another one, at least for the first half. We could criticize and nitpick his second half a little more, but especially in the first half when the Bears gave up the majority of their points, ooh, he was balling. Yeah, and it's – I mean, I, I know what my, my comment left Ridley a little short. Ridley is – a star in his own right he's a he's probably one of the five or six best route runners in football like the guy and he like for everything people made of him not being ultra explosive coming out of Alabama it doesn't matter when your routes are that good and you're that clean with everything you do you're open like Mm-hmm. He, and and it's not even just that Hayden Hurst wasn't terrible yesterday. No. He's a solid NFL tight end, you know, and the running game did its job. Their offense performed fine. Honestly, I think a lot of what happened yesterday was, a you know, a little bit of Trubisky or not Trubisky, falls magic. And I think they're feeling the weight of these games that they're blowing and they're, it's almost like, the idea in baseball when you squeeze the bats so hard squeezing the bat harder doesn't make you hit or squeezing the ball harder as a pitcher and grimacing and snarling doesn't make you pitch better a lot of times in football if you're pressing that much don't mess it up don't mess it up don't screw this up you're eventually going to do it instead of just playing ball and I think that's in a sense kind of what happened yesterday yeah absolutely Dan I mean you're you're a hundred percent right. It's not like, and it's got to be in this Atlanta's team's head, you know, offense right. and defense, especially Matt Ryan. He's a really good quarterback. His third and fourth quarter rating, whatever you want to call them, they were not his best quarters. And you got to think that when Foles came in, started chucking the rock around, and we didn't even talk about finicky things like the fact that I think that it was a second week in a row where we saw a fluky play. Allen Robinson, even on Twitter, call it a defense, call it an excuse, call it whatever you want. He pretty much said that he let go of the ball, like, uh, as, or at least hinted at as much when he said and claimed that he thought it was a touchdown and that the refs have taken it away from him. But the point is, is that you better believe that if us fans were sitting there thinking Nick Foles isn't going to pull this off, right? Like there's no way he does this, that the Atlanta team was thinking the same thing. What really blew me away, and you mentioned this guy, is I think I have underrated Calvin Ridley because Julio Jones is next to him. And I don't think I've been near fair enough. That guy is a number one wide receiver and a half. Like he... He was pretty much the only guy running half the routes, and he was still so open. There was nothing Kyle Fuller could do. There was nothing Jalen Johnson could do. There was nothing bracketed coverage could do. He was by himself. He was still shaking loose. Brandon, how does that even happen from a defensive back perspective? I mean, he's just – he's really, really good at attacking leverage. And, I mean, this is something he's obviously been doing since Alabama and – I, as you said, he's just been getting overshadowed by Julio Jones. And I mean, now that Julio Jones is a little hampered, he's able to shine. I, he's arguably a top 10 receiver. I mean, what he's able to do to this secondary without Julio Jones and without any other known receivers is just, I mean, it's, it's really outstanding. Honestly, I mean, it's super impressive. He's a star. He's a star. Yeah. There's no way star. around it. Like, and it's like, like I said, I don't think we realize how good he was because of the transcendent guy that lines up across from him. 
Like, and I know that term gets thrown around a lot. Julio is transcendent. No, there's, I get you. There's nothing about that guy that's not that's normal. And there's nothing easier to do early in a season, right, than criticize your own players for getting beat mm-hmm. by a guy you didn't you didn't realize until the end of the year is actually just super duper good. good. Like, yeah. regardless of what you think of the guy, I remember I'll take us back to last year in London. Uh, Charles Leno got destroyed online for giving up a sack to little-known Max Crosby, who ended up having an incredibly productive year. And you look back and you say, oh, I guess Crosby was pretty good. Maybe that wasn't such a bad thing. And uh, that's not me trying to, like, stand for Leno. More to say that you don't know who's going to blow up in the NFL until the end of the year when you look back and you say, maybe Gardner Minshew really isn't a bad quarterback. Maybe maybe Foles got beat out by a good young kid with some actual potential. And I'm not trying to get into some kind of Minshew breakdown here as I say that. I think you really saw the the fear that Calvin Ridley put in Pagano because – I. I've never seen him run as much cover four as, as he ran this year. He ran a I, lot of cover four. And I, I've, been, I've been calling for cover four, but it, it, it can affect the run game as well because your safeties aren't going to be triggered to come downhill as much as, as, much as they would have been. So I, he, he, really, he really changes game plans for defenses, and I'm glad mm-hmm. – that the Colts don't have a Calvin Ridley, even even if T.Y. is pretty good. No, but That's, they have future Hall of Famer Philip Rivers, Mr. Man. Don't you I mean, dare disrespect him. To get into a little bit of a preview, you bring up a great point, Brandon. I mean, these elite receivers who are too good for either of the Bears' corners to handle, and let's call it what it is, Jalen Johnson – who apparently has the best press rating in football right now, still probably a B-plus corner at best. Nothing wrong with that. Dude's a rookie. Like, don't hear that as criticism. And Kyle Fuller, depending on the day, he's a B-plus or an A-minus. And when you've got a receiver, they can just flat out beat both of them. That's going to give the Bears fits because they rely on their corners. And T.Y. Hilton and the rest of the Colts' second or receiving options – they're not really at that level. This is exactly the kind of matchup that you want as a defense, especially if the Bears can go out and get a lead for the first time in a while on offense. Because if they can do what they did against the Giants, go get that lead. They're going to be able to push Phillip Rivers, who, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, he has like 4.3 air yards per attempt at the moment. Like he's throwing underneath a lot. And if I saw anything against the Lions game, that's what this Bears defense craves. And they want those underneath throws. And it's also such a huge thing for this team. The offense as it stands, even with Foles, is not built to come back. It's built to to – to thrive off of a lead like oh you got three points you got 10 points all of a sudden the defense has a turnover and all of a sudden you got 16 points and like that's how this team is built you go as your defense goes now obviously that's hard to do when you're when your offense can't put up points but now you have a competent enough quarterback to where you should in theory destroy the Colts if you have what I think they're going to do you bought brought up the Giants game they should, in theory, do to the Giants or do to the Colts what I thought they should have done to the Giants. They should destroy them. What are you thinking, Brandon? Because that seems like a little bit of a tall order to me. But heck, yeah, that, I don't that's, know. That's a, a really, really, really tall order. The Colts. I'm saying should. I'm not I, saying will. Maybe I'm just not confident enough. <laughs> the, the Colts. Now, now we're switching. Now we're switching roles. Right. Yeah. We completely <laughs> flip flopped. The Colts. Not saying. Not saying they will. They're good. But it's 
you know, somebody brought this up. The, the Colts, if I'm remembering correctly, their three games so far are the Jaguars, the Jets, and the Vikings. So they are probably similar to the Bears in that we, have, we really don't know what they are. Like, we, we don't really have a great picture for what they can and can't do because they've played three of the maybe the worst teams in football, hard to know, don't actually know where the, Jag, the Jags land. But beating the, uh, beating the Jets, not impressive. And apparently neither is beating the Giants because San Fran took their second string out and had a day against the Giants. But yeah, like, like you're saying, I don't even – I don't really know where things land here. The Colts' defense seems it's like it's playing tell. pretty well. The, the running game certainly has the potential to give the Bears – fits because Quentin Nelson against uh Quentin Nelson against Akeem Hicks is going to be must see TV no doubt but uh, usually the Bears are counting on a huge favor like there and if they can't even get one out of Hicks this this run game could tear us up but maybe I'm just being pessimistic no what could. I'm worried about is Hicks doesn't even line up on the same side as Quentin Nelson so we have argued well the Colts best player against the weakest spot on our defense, what I think is our weakest spot, and that's the – They're right side going to pound that side. Quentin Nelson will suplex below Nichols on every single play in terms of the right. running ability. It's it, That's a night and day matchup, and so I don't even think – snacks coming then? <laughs> I mean – should be. Brandon's been asking for snacks since week one, so it's that's not weird even on this Marcel podcast. Marcel Darius would do his job and hold suit like just be strong don't it's get pro- pushed around which it's, is obviously against a supernatural talent like right. nelson way easier said than done right it's got to be the number one thing i've ever been frustrated with with this bears team is that they don't want to add anybody they get to the season and they say Tariq cohen went down ryan Nall's our next guy and and that seems a little strange to me because you'd want your yak back to not be ryan Nall. Ryan Nall's more of a pure replacement for David Montgomery, but we'll have to see what happens. I don't I think hope. Ryan Nall's any good. <laughs> eh, you don't have to. It's more that like <laughs> – No, I, I understand what you're saying, and I, <laughs> I get the whole thing, but I just uh, – yeah, sure. Ryan Nall, cool, sweet. <laughs> it's, it, it's definitely a matchup that as far as it goes, the, the secondary aspect favors the Bears as it should for pretty much every team that isn't the Packers because I'm – I'm pretty terrified of Devontae Adams plus this edition of Aaron Rodgers versus guys, any defense. You guys both kind of touched on it, and you brought up the one play with the play action where the whole team fit into their run schemes, and they were able to just, just unleash. This is a better running game with Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor. And, you know, they, they have a – and Naheem Hines from North Carolina State a couple years ago. They've got – good runners they can exploit that especially with a guy like for the deficiencies that ty has there's one area he isn't deficient in he's going to blow the top off your defense and when you do that like like you like you said you can play you can run to unsuccessfully to set up a play action but if you're doing it successfully it matters to me at least more and when you start doing that and you can let let Phillip maybe get a, even a small pocket and unleash something deep to T.Y. Hilton. I don't care how good an athlete Kyle Fuller is. He's not winning a foot race with T.Y. He's just not. And that could cause problems, that run to set up the pass, that I'm assuming Frank Reich is smart enough to 
deploy, especially given, God, seven and six yards of carry off the left side. Sweet. Yeah, it'll it'll be that's, a tough matchup, but it's one that I really can't wait for. I mean, not only is it the debut of Nick Foles, who I'll just put this on the podcast right now. I'm I'm going to laugh so hard if he ends up being a little disappointing in his first game. It wouldn't shock me. I mean, it's oh, still early uh, in the season, oh, but I'm just mentally getting ready for it because the, the Chicago Bears have a bad habit of making me do that, that I have to plan for the worst so that then when we end up making the comeback against Atlanta, I'm really excited about it. Uh, as yeah. it's The Bears have a great two-week test here coming up against the Colts and the Buccaneers. Both teams are beatable. And they get the better team at home against the Bucks on a short week on Thursday Night Football. So this should be a great moment. If they come out of this 5-0, and they're in the driver's seat. Not just for, the, not just for a playoff spot, but for the division. And, and Because, I mean, hey, 5-0, and that's pretty tough. As far as, like, final thoughts go, because I think we can go around the table and do that, I was really pleasantly surprised at, the, at this game by the end. During the middle, I hated it, obviously. But Nagy made a switch that I never – Never would have expected him to make, and he ended up pulling a win out of it. He, it took guts. Nobody should do that. Like, not, not should. Should's the wrong word. Most coaches, as somebody mentioned on Twitter, wait until weeks five or six. Most coaches don't stick their neck out and say, nope, we're done. It took, we're 2-0. and oh, We have a winning record. Our quarterback's having a bad day, and I'm done with him. I'm trying to remember the team that did that of recent vintage where they were in a playoff race and they benched their starter for their, their Are you thinking guy. of the Titans? Titans did it last year. They were coming but, off losses, though. But they were coming off of L's, right. Mm-hmm. There's a team, I want to say three or four seasons oh, ago. 49ers. With uh, Smith and Kaepernick, mm-hmm. is this the that, one you're talking about. That was them, but no, there was one. Like I'm telling, I'm telling you, there was one in between. Even that right. was injury. Like that was. Yeah, Smith lost his job to injury. Oh, he just but didn't get I'm, it back. Yeah, I, I can't remember. I'm I'm drawing a blank, and it's I'm going to be upsetting to me when I think of it. Literally three minutes when we're done after we're done recording. But it's a it's a it's a, it's a good time to be a Bears fan. We're three and zero. Oh, the offense might just have a lot more juice in it than we thought we did, and we get to see what this team looks like against not a bottom feeder. Because as much as I like the Falcons' offensive personnel, they are now 0-3, right? So you can't exactly consider them the class of the NFL at the moment. And I don't really care because the Bears still have four games left on the schedule against not the class of the NFL in the the Lions, two games against the Vikings, the Jaguars, and I didn't even factor in Carolina, which they're not that good, but they're not – they're not that bad. Um, the The point is, is that as we go into the Indianapolis game, I am really upbeat. I expected to be two and one at this point. I expected to still be playing Mitch Trubisky if we were still two and one. So we're not. We get to see this offense. Mm-hmm. And as much as people keep saying the Trubisky experiment is over, that's not really what I'm focused on. Let the Nagy experiment really begin. Because yep. now he's picked his quarterback. Now he gets to be who he is. I'm sure we're going to see some zany stuff. I'm sure it's not all going to work. And But at the end of the day, when the dust settles, I think this offense has a better chance of being a true puncher than they have been over the last two and a half years. So kind of to piggyback off what you were saying, th- this is the true beginning of what it's going to look like to see Nagy's offense. We're going to see some of the wacky Willy Wonka stuff 
it's inevitable. It's just who Nagy is. It's what, it's what Andy Reid does. It's what all these guys who are proclaimed geniuses do. The, two things. One being one, – one is a quick prediction. I think with Cohen going out, there's a guy on the Detroit Lions practice squad who was a bear last year for, through preseason and half the season on their practice squad before getting picked up by Pittsburgh. I think you could see Kareth White being brought back because he's a four-phase special teamer. And he has a lot of game-breaking ability in terms of just sheer speed. Or if you do, he doesn't have like the arsenal of moves Cohen has, but if you get him in space and he can get a ball with a head of steam, he could make something happen. Not saying it's going to happen, but it's a prediction I could see that happening. The other big one is the Foles thing is going to have the, the frustrations with it. You saw – he got away with one on the Graham throw where he was rolling opposite way, and I'm not really sure he was even trying to throw that ball to Graham. I thought he might have been trying to throw for the go route up the sideline, and it just didn't get there. Oh and goodness. it kind of – That'd be worse. I'd rather think it went to Graham. <laughs> go back – I'm telling you, go back and watch it. I'm not entirely convinced he's not trying to muscle that thing down the left sideline. But only he knows. Bottom line is Graham came up with it, kind of with like a look what I got kind of thing, and – there it is. He's going to throw picks. He's going he's gonna to throw some wild moment touchdowns. And he's, the other thing is, do not expect him to not get hit. He's going to eat some hits. And it's, you're, you, sometimes you're going to wonder if he's going to bounce back up. He gets up pretty well. But let the scenario play out. This is the best possible way to see what Nagy's offense is going to do in today's NFL where this is the, this is the wave. Everybody's got to have the throwing stuff. So get used to seeing a lot more shotgun. The one thing I hope that he does continue to do with Fultles under helm because of when he's been successful with Philadelphia under Peterson, he still established a running game because you can't let Fultles throw 40 or 50 times a game. You can't do it regularly. And I know people will probably try to call me up and be like, well, what about that Super Bowl? Yeah, that's fine. He's still not that guy. If he's throwing 45, 50 times a game, chances are you're probably losing that football game. I'm just excited for the season moving forward. I think I – don't, I don't know if I've been this optimistic as, as a Bears fan since, like, 2006 maybe. I mean, this is, this is one of the better teams that I've ever seen on – out of the Bears, and I'm excited for this matchup this weekend because I think the Colts are pretty tough. They're definitely better than I thought they were. Uh, Buckner is creating problems over there on the D-line. Man, I'm interested baby. to see how they handle that. Man. And Hilton's having another good year. I think he's going to take advantage of Kyle Fuller a lot in the short areas, which I think will be a problem because Kyle Fuller tends to go quite a few yards, but we'll see. Yeah. We will see. And it's it, – I can't wait. I mean, it, it's so much better than 2019 where I kind of dreaded watching the Bears because it was just always a new way to find find out how you could get disappointed. And in this case, it's not. But, guys, that'll wrap up our first WCG episode of the Rule of Three podcast. I know that they can find you online at Windy City Gridiron, but, guys, come on. That's not the only place that y'all are. Where are y'all's Twitter handles? Because I think mine's pretty well known at this point. Well, I'm on the Twitter device too. You can find me at Dan Mian, 
My name is spelled M-E-E-H-A-N as in Nicholas with the numerals nine zero after it. I have really bad takes. You can follow me. <laughs> you can find me at BRobNFL, B-R-O-B. I'll be posting quite a few football clips on there as the weeks go. So, Film savant. And as usual, you guys can find me at Robert K. Schmitz. That's R-O-B-E-R-T-E-K-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z on Twitter and Run Pass Opinion on YouTube. Wednesday night, check out the live stream. Guys, it's been awesome. Talk to you later. Chi-town, you know what it is. Blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange. Yeah, Windy City, you know what it is. Blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange. Welcome, everybody, to the WCG debut episode of the Rule of Three podcast featuring Robert Schmitz, myself, Danny Meehan, and Brandon Robinson right here on the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network as we aim to go through the game from an X's and O's analysis perspective and talk a little deeper after the game to break down what happened before, of course, we move on to next week's contest in this against the Bears and the Colts. But guys, it is great being here. I can't believe we're 3-0, and much less 3-0 and after a quarterback change. We'll get some initial thoughts rolling. Guys, what do you think about this wild game? 